Turn with me to Psalm 50. Amen. Psalm 50. We just sang in him, going over the first four verses. This psalm is broken up into several sections. I'll explain those briefly before I read this psalm to us. The first section is verses 1 through 6, where the Lord is proclaimed as a judge. And it's very important that you grasp that he is a judge from those first verses to have the rest of the psalm have the power that it needs. In verses 6 through 13, we have described to us ceremonial worship and how that is not acceptable to the Lord. In verses 14 and 15, we find what is acceptable to the Lord in his worship. In verses 16 through 22, we have the Lord describing the wicked, the way the wicked think, and how the Lord thinks about the wicked and their thoughts. And in verse 23, we have reiterated to us what the Lord wants from us from verses 14 and 15. Please follow along with me, noticing those sections and those breaks as I read Psalm 50 to us. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun unto the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And the heavens shall declare his righteousness, for God is judge himself. Selah. Hear, O my people, And I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against thee. I am God, even thy God. I will not reprove thee for thy sacrifices or thy burnt offerings to have been continually before me. I will take no bullock out of thy house, nor he goats out of thy folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. Will I eat the flesh of bulls, or drink the blood of goats? Offer unto God thanksgiving, And pay thy vows unto the Most High. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee. And thou shalt glorify me. But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes? Or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? Seeing thou hatest instruction and casteth my words behind thee. 
When thou sawest a thief, then thou consentest with him, and hast been partaker with adulterers. Thou givest thy mouth to evil, and thy tongue frameth deceit. Thou sittest and speakest against thy brother, thou slanderest thine own mother's son. These things hast thou done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. We're in the midst of a study about knowing God. This psalm, in many ways, gives us a great explanation of God and how He is to be known. The first section, verses 1 through 6. In these verses we see a mighty God, even the Lord. Without a mighty God, and without Him being Lord, there's not the same weight placed on the rest of the psalm. It must be established early on that He is the judge for us to grab and and completely understand what he is to say following. He has to set that stage to have the weight come upon us. And he ends that section with the word Selah. Before you get to the rest of this psalm, stop and think about God being a judge. There are other passages where God is merciful, where God is kind, where God is compassionate. He wants to establish early on in this psalm, he's also a judge against the wicked. The second section, verses 6 through 13, explains to us how the Lord does not accept the offerings and the burnt offerings and sacrifices in an outward form of worship. It sounds like They have a form of godliness, but have denied the power. They come to church. They're dressed well. They sit in the pew and sing. They may even stand in the pulpit and pray. It's not enough for the Lord because it's not done correctly. It's not done with verses 14 and 15. We can gather from these verses that they are intent on going through the motions. And they've done very well in going through them. But we get to verses 14 and 15, and here we see what the Lord does desire. And this is what we want to have in the forefront of our minds throughout the rest of this psalm. This is what the Lord wants. Four things I've pulled out. This is what He is desiring. Verse 14, Offer unto God thanksgiving. Amen. That doesn't mean, as we've heard in times past, to be thankful. We have to offer thanksgiving unto the Lord. You can sit at your home and say you're thankful, but if you haven't shown it, who's to believe you? And the Lord's telling us that He doesn't either. Pay your vows. Have we made vows at times in our lives? 
I know I have, and anyone in this room that's been baptized has too. So we have vows to pay. Pay your vows. Call upon the Lord in the day of trouble. Humble yourself to realize your need of the mighty God, even the Lord. Don't walk around proud in yourself thinking you can accomplish it on your own. You can't. Glorify him. Verse 15, the second half says, I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. That's stating that it's future when the Lord will do something. But for all of us, he's already done it. He has already delivered us from many things. We already have the obligation to glorify him now. Verses 16 through 22. We have a description of the wicked. And this isn't the world wicked. This is those that have made a covenant with him. Verse 16, But unto the wicked God saith, What hast thou to do to declare my statutes, or that thou shouldest take my covenant in thy mouth? These are Christians, not the world. Let's keep our focus there. We would love to go and have this grouping put on the world. We know they're wicked. We know the Lord has turned his back on them. But he can do it to those that take his covenant in their mouth. I want to focus on one verse, though. Verse 17. There's two things that are described about the wicked here that we need to focus on, especially in light of what we're hearing about knowing God. Seeing thou hatest instruction and castest my words behind thee. You may say, when have I done this? I haven't hated instruction. I love instruction. I love to be told things that I can do better. When have you not prepared your heart correctly for the worship of God? In a way, you are hating instruction. When have we disregarded the correction from his book? We've been taught in recent weeks to know God more. Do you know God more today than you did several weeks ago? When have we not listened to a brother exhort us? Has there been a time that somebody has gotten the courage to come to you and say something to you, and you've disregarded it? You've hated instruction, and you've cast his words behind you. We've been given another example to know God. From those two commandments to us, what are we doing? He moves on into verse 21 and 22 to have some of the most frightening words in the whole Bible. These people were loving Jesus and trying to do what was right in some ways, and they thought that because God had kept his silence, that he was altogether like them. They say to themselves, nothing's happened to me yet, and God certainly hasn't spoken against me. He could either be giving them a space of time for repentance, which we see in other places, and that's why he's still silent. Or he could be waiting for you to commit that one last sin so that he's got plenty to come down and tear you in pieces. And it's either one of those two things. Consider. As he moves into verse 22, he says, Now consider this. He wants you to stop again and think about what you've just heard and what he's about to say. Consider why he's silent. 
Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such as one as thyself, but I will reprove thee and set them in order before thine eyes. The contrast between verses 15 and verse 22 I found unique. In verse 15, it says that he will deliver us when we call upon him in the day of trouble. But in verse 22, it says, and there be none to deliver. I want the Lord to be there to deliver me when I call upon him in my day of trouble. I trust you do as well. Well, then let's get to verse 23 so that we can do the things to have the assurance of that. This is what the Lord wants. Yes. He doesn't want us thinking we're doing okay and having the Lord keep silence. He wants us to offer praise that glorifieth Him. Amen. And more importantly to what I want to say today, He wants us to order our conversation aright. Then will He show the salvation of God. Yes. Micah 6.8 tells us things that we need to do in our lives. We need to walk humbly with our God. We need to do justly. Are we doing these things? Is our conversation aright? We've been taught again in these recent weeks, as I've mentioned, to get ourselves right with the Lord and to know Him as we ought. We have a great blessing of seeing the salvation of God if we will do these things. I leave you with this thought. In light of this chapter... And in light of what we've been hearing, what is the legacy you're leaving behind? The moment that the Lord takes you out of this world, what's the legacy that's been left? Is it one that has a conversation ordered aright from a moment-to-moment, minute-to-minute, day-to-day basis? Or is it one that has done the bare minimum and thought that God's silence was in some way approving of their doing? Let us say that our conversation has been ordered aright and that our legacy is one of that as we hear more about knowing God.